Good morning, church. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. Today, I have the honor of proclaiming good news to you all, not as one above or over you, but as one from amongst you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our gospel passage, it's a rather long gospel passage, probably most noticed by the person reading it. Uh, In our gospel passage, it was Zechariah's order of the priesthood's turn to serve. And chosen by Lot, Zechariah was identified as the one who would offer incense and enter the sanctuary of the Lord. There, a messenger of God appeared to him and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth, who had been barren, would give birth to a son, even in their old age. The messenger told him that they would have joy and gladness and that their son would prepare the people for the coming Redeemer. And then it concludes by saying, After those days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived, and she hid herself away for five months. She said, This is the holy God's doing. Church, today we proclaim the good news that you are not alone in this foreign, broken land. God has not abandoned you. You are beloved. Jesus will return to set things right, to lift up the lowly and to dry every eye. Widen your tense kingdom, people. Hide yourself in hope as we await the renewing of all things today. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of hope. We eagerly await Christmas where we will celebrate the first advent of our Savior It can almost feel a little bit culturally as if we're pretending that we don't know everyone around us is already celebrating Christmas. It feels a little foreign. Like, we know, you know, because we're in the Anglican tradition. Like, it's not Christmas yet, but also, like, it's like the 4th of December, and if I see somebody with a Christmas tree on their car, I'm like, wow, you guys are late, huh? A little little bit behind. (laughs) It can feel at times, if we're not careful, performative. It's as if we play act that we're waiting so that we can celebrate even harder for the 12 days of Christmas. But it's not performative. We are, in fact, at our very core Advent people. We aren't pretending that Christ hasn't come so that the front half of December gives us an opportunity for more ritualistic role play. No, the liturgical calendar resets with Advent because it reminds us who we are and it reminds us where we are at in God's story. Yes, we will celebrate Christ's birth at Christmas time. Yes, we believe that the kingdom has been inaugurated. But we also have eyes. We see the world around us has not been set right. We experience loss and pain. We break, we hurt, we cry. But we celebrate the first advent of Christ, even as we desperately long for and wait for his second advent. Church, you are not alone. You are not forgotten or unseen. Two things give great shape to our waiting, place and promise. The church, the faith, has a long history rooted in place. In our Hebrews passage, it says, That by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as a stranger in a land that was promised to him. 
living as, as if he was in a foreign land in tents. He was waiting in that specific place for the city whose architect and builder was God. God's people were slaves in a particular place, in Egypt. They were nomads in the desert searching for the promised land. And then in our gospel passage, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth in the promised land, but as an occupied people. Under the rule of Herod, they live as foreigners in their own homeland. In the midst of the fulfilled promise of God, the promised land, they're not able to live into the fullness of the promise yet. It's almost, but not quite. Church, where do you desperately need God to show up today? As you look around in your community, in your life, in your family, where are you in desperate search of the promised land? Where do you feel displaced or out of place? How would that situation look different if the kingdom of God was fully present? We're people of the promise, even as we live in these concrete realities, in these places. And in Advent, we hold our longing for Christ's second Advent in conversation with his first. Just as Abraham, living in a foreign land, waiting on a city whose architect was God, so are we living in these concrete realities waiting for a city whose architect is God. But the promise is that that city is coming. God's people had been promised that a Redeemer would come, and they waited, and they waited. In Luke, we catch up with them still waiting, in the promised land, under the rule of foreign government. But then the Redeemer did arrive. God in the flesh showed up. God is faithful. His promises are true. And this promise is rooted in reality. It's not just an ethereal idea. It's not just a concept. But it has everything to do with the places that we're in, day in and day out. In Isaiah, that passage, that's a great example of how sometimes in this women's lectionary, the passages will read differently. I think in that like 20-verse passage, the word woman was in there like 50 times. And as I prepared to preach this week, it was, no, it was noticeable, especially as I held it side by side with other interpretations or translations. So, Dr. Wilda Gaffney, just so you guys know, as a, just a little note outside of sermonizing here, every, every place that the word woman was mentioned was actually incongruence or related to where in the original Hebrew a word would have been a feminine word. Well, that's something that we don't pick up or doesn't translate into English. We don't have as many feminine or masculine words. And so at the front of this Isaiah passage, as I read it in a different translation this week, it does address a woman. But then as a white man in a patriarchal society, I got like two and a half verses in before I was just like, oh, this is to me. I got this. You know, because I have been totally enculturated and formed and developed into this worldview of hearing it a certain way. And now, of course, this passage, this good news that's being proclaimed to this woman in Isaiah is a good news for everyone. But 
it is totally different. It paints it and shapes it totally different when we realize that it's not aimed. It's not being spoken to a white man. It's not being spoken to a man. It's being spoken to a woman. It's as if we've been formed into this almost like a trickle-down grace. It's like, of course, God's grace is for everyone, but it starts with me, then it goes out to women and children and everybody else. It's so freeing to hear it read in a different way. In Isaiah, in this passage, it starts off by saying, More are the children of the devastated woman than the children of the espoused woman. It says, Don't be ashamed, for you will not be disgraced. Even the shame of your youth will be forgotten, and the stigma of your widowhood will never be remembered. This passage paints a picture of God's promise and faithfulness using the vernacular of the Hebrew Scripture. So God is speaking to God's people using a cultural frame that they would understand. This is not a mandate that marriage and children is how you know how blessed you are by God or how beloved you are by God. God is speaking through a lens, through a frame that they would have understood. It's not a mandate to be passed down. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than to say, if you have children, then you're blessed. If you're married, then you're blessed. It's actually giving us a wider understanding for the goodness of God. God is faithful to remove whatever it is that stigmatizes you or keeps you on the outside. The passage, the passage ends with, for your spouse is the one who made you. Now, this is not saying that you're supposed to be married to Jesus, although some of us maybe have heard that before, depending on what tradition we come out of. Instead, what it means is, God is your destigmatizer. God is your legitimizer. God is the one who erases whatever is keeping you on the outside and pulls you in and says, you are worthy, you are beloved. Church, expand the place of your tent. Don't hold back. In eternally bonded love, God will mother love you. Your Redeemer has spoken. The psalm says, Who is like the mother of all our God, who sits enthroned on high, yet bends down to behold the heavens? This is the shape of this promise. We are people of place and promise, and this is what the promise looks like. It goes on to say that God takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts up the poor from the ashes and sets them with rulers. This is good news to the marginalized, no matter what the cause of their marginalization is. So what about those of us who don't feel marginalized? This is good news to those who have been marginalized, but we as a church, in large part, have been learning a lot about how we've been complicit in the marginalization of other people. That doesn't mean that we don't ever experience difficulty. That doesn't mean that we don't have hard lives or a lot to figure out on our own. But culturally speaking, we, by and large as a church, have not been marginalized. So what is the good news for us? Well, God is present and at work faithfully revealing our complicitness, our lack of caring. Many of us have gone through a lot of our life cut off and uncaring of those around us who are suffering. But this is no way to live. Dehumanization cuts both ways. It obviously harms those who are being dehumanized, but you're cutting yourself off 
from your own humanity by not caring, by turning a blind eye or a cold shoulder to those in need. And we've been developed and formed into it. It's the water that we swim in. And so the good news is we are being pulled out of that. God is rehumanizing us, church. We repent, we learn, we have new eyes to see, and we move forward. Our Hebrews passage says, By faith, even Sarah, who had been barren, received power to knit together seed in spite of her length of life. And so from one person, and that one practically dead, descendants were born. So through the faithfulness of Abraham and Sarah, God was able to do a miracle and fulfill a promise to provide descendants to them. But then it says in the next verse, in faith, many of these descendants died without receiving the promises. It's much easier, even with Abraham and Sarah, to say, well, they received the promise in their lifetime. Even though they were in old age, they got to see the promise come true. But if we don't hold these in tandem, then we can lose sight of the good news that God has for us in this. Many of their descendants went through their entire life holding to the faith, holding on to the promise without the promise coming true in their lifetime. The message version says, each of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. I resonate with that so much. In the message, it goes on to say, how did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, the promise. They waved their greeting and they accepted the fact that they were transients in the world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. Church, we are transients in this world. This is good news. You're not crazy. This is not how it's supposed to be. So when you look around and you see brokenness, when you feel the brokenness in your own soul, in your spirit, in your body, know that God sees that brokenness too. But the fact that we have not received the fullness of the promise yet doesn't make the promise any less true. Church, widen your tents. Jesus is returning to set all things right. Do not despair. Show up today planted in your place, rooted in this promise. We are living as strangers in a land that is promised. God has not abandoned creation. Instead, all of creation is being reconciled to its creator. We know that this isn't how it ought to be. And this knowledge that this isn't how it ought to be, this is vital. This is vital to understanding the promise and saying yes to the promise and showing up every day. But it can be hard not to be overcome by it. But don't despair because in the fullness of time, it will be how it ought to be. The poor will be lifted out of the ashes. Those with boots on the necks of the poor will relearn what shoes are for. Bellies will be full, violence will not win out, sickness and death will be no more. So we wait, and we work, we feed those alongside us who hunger, we stand against violence in all of its forms, we resist mammon, we pray, we live, we vote in a way that pulls health care, equity, and housing towards our neighbors. Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she hid herself away. Hiding is a strange phrase at this point in the scripture passage. Was she hiding in fear or in doubt? 
The passage says she hid herself away for five months, and she said, this is the holy God's doing. God has done this for me. She hid not from reality, but with reality in full view, she hid in the promise. Church, as we wait, as we are in this in-between space, this already but not yet, hide yourself in the promise today. You are not alone in this foreign, broken land. God has not abandoned you. You are beloved. Jesus will return to set all things right, to lift up the lowly and to dry every eye. So widen your tents, kingdom people. Hide yourself in hope as we await the renewing of all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.